This morning, we say goodbye to Karen Trimber, who's moving to Florida, and express thanks to her for all of the ways through the years uh, seen most frequently serving in our worship team and singing, and uh, just would wish the Lord's blessing upon her as she faces this transition. I was told this week that this was her last Sunday in town before she moves, so... uh, uh, if that piece of information that I was forwarded is correct, we certainly want to send that along to her this morning. December 10th, the tornadoes hit West Kentucky. Through contacts, through our church family, we started conversations with three churches about how can we be involved, how can we help. We've kept those conversations going for three months, offered our help, and have come to realize that in this particular moment, not only in Kentucky, but for our world and with some things that are going on on the ground in western Kentucky, that it would be prudent for us to pivot and rather than receive a to Sunday special offering for Western Kentucky. In light of what is going on in Ukraine, I'm announcing this morning that we are pivoting away from that sensitivity, even based on coaching we've received from those who are on the ground about what's going on now. They're down to insurance companies, settling with families and contracting with contractors to rebuild. And uh, in offering our help, probably a greater need in this moment is to offer a gift to the Association of Baptists for World Evangelism's Ukraine Fund. It's $402,000 strong as of this past Thursday. And I'm announcing this morning for anyone who wanted to voluntarily be a part of it, some of us have watched those images and we've prayed for Ukraine, we will receive extra gifts in the offering designated Ukraine for March 27th and April 3rd, the next two Sundays. They're doing two things immediately with the money and doing, planning on a third thing as soon as the wars stops and we hope in God's mercy that may happen this week. They are on the ground in Moldova, Romania, Hungary, and Poland, working with their global partners in the ABWE family, a long-trusted partner with us here at Calvary Baptist Church. And they are setting up 20% of the used funds so far, have, and they're not holding anything in a balance. As soon as they get it, they're deploying it to Eastern Europe. 20% of it is being used to immediately set up uh, shelters and receiving area for refugees. The line on foot coming through Ukraine into Moldova is seven miles long to get in on foot. This last week, it was reported to me on Thursday. And so um, they're setting up centers where they give food and water that's kind of a way station as people head in rural areas to the urban areas where they're received and processed and and being uh, set up. 
the other 80% of their funding is going to local churches with pastors that are their partners working again in Moldova, Hungary, Poland, and um, Romania. What happens is these churches uh, don't have the resources they need to serve the refugees. They want to, and they even have structures, uh, but don't have the funds to make it work. And so they're funding uh, work through local churches and the pastors that they've trained uh, to do this. So that's where our, our, uh, this offering would go. We will give it to ABWE's Ukraine offering. That'll be received over the next two weeks for anyone who voluntarily, as is with every gift here at Calvary. Uh, so be thinking about that over the next two weeks. My buddy started his work with our Lord as soon as the Berlin Wall came down in 89 in Eastern Europe. And so he has a lot of friends and a lot of contacts, and he's overseeing this with others. And I was talking to him this week, and he was saying that the next wave is going to be the incredible wave because as soon as the uh, hostility ceases, the needs on the ground in Ukraine are going to be incredible. And he said, it's one thing to hear the good news about Jesus when you believe everything's going fine and the culture's stable. You have a whole nother ear to hear it when the whole culture has collapsed, uh, literally and uh, function-wise, uh, metaphorically. And so he's really excited about what God's going to do uh, when uh, in the future, and so the funds will be pivoted out of a refugee focus to a Ukrainian country focus. Now, I realize some of you may say, now, wait a minute, Eric, I thought we were giving extra to Next to pay cash for the Student Activity Center, and we're, we are. You've watched the balance with me. We are now within $59,000 of extra giving above the general fund giving, which is so important, the lifeblood of our mission, week after week, month after month. We're within $59,000 of reaching our goal, and we're just going to plow forward with a sensitive heart for this period of time to Ukraine as well and uh, contribute to what God is doing there through these partners who are on the ground in that very area of the world. And I want to pray for Ukraine this morning. Father, yesterday I went to a birthday party with Andy for a one-year-old man in our family to celebrate life and a gift from you, a grandson. That's kind of normal, usual things in a family's life. Lord, there's nothing normal and usual about family life in Ukraine right now. Father, thank you that through the years you've raised up in Ukraine especially a whole bunch of gospel Christians. The most concentrated group of gospel Christians in all of the old Soviet bloc states. And Lord, their experience of freedom economically and their experience of freedom in worship and their faith and their experience of freedom in life. And Lord, it really 
33% of them are Russian and they have family back in Russia and that's really a flashpoint. This really is, a, faith is at the center of this. But I pray for the church in Ukraine. I would hate to be, to have my sons under 60 years old contained in the country to fight. To have my wife and children trying to get out of the country. To have single adults beleaguered by the bombing going on and the fearful, foreboding sounds of war. Lord, lead them to dwell secure in the shelter of the Most High. And in dwelling in that shelter, revel in your presence with them, the shadow of the Almighty. Lead them to say, you, Lord, are our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we trust. We pray for them. We pray for the cause of the gospel, for those who are trusting in other things, and there's nothing like war to beat the idols out of our heart and identify what we're really trusting in to think that our life is going to be okay. Lord, we pray for a cessation of the hostilities. We pray that you would thwart evil. Oh, Lord, we look over a situation like this and think of the many deaths and carnage that has gone on and say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. O Prince of Peace, you're well suited to help. So we appeal to you. And over the next two weeks, Lord, on March 27th and April 3rd, as we receive this offering for Ukraine in special extra gifts, we pray that you would use them with these aggregated funds that ABWE is using to spread the good news about Jesus all over Eastern Europe. Thank you for those partners on the ground who are weary in helping others who are coming in the country in hordes and droves. So help us, Lord. We love the solace of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the heathen imagine a vain thing? He who sits in the heavens laughs. Lord, you laugh at their folly. You have seated your son Jesus and invited the world to come and pay homage to Jesus and to kiss the Son. By the Spirit of God's work in our heart, make us to be those submissive, responsive, loving, joyful followers of this one who loved us and gave himself for us. And Lord, help beleaguered Ukraine in this hour. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1970, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian writer, won the Nobel Peace Prize for literature. He did it because of the literature he wrote about the tyranny of life in the former, former USSR, the Union of Socialist Soviet Republics, it was called. He wrote the book, Gulag Archipelago, along with another book, Cancer Ward. I thought of that book this week, reading John chapter 5 and preparing for this morning. Cancer Ward is a vivid description 
of, it's a novel, but it's a novel depicting his experience with cancer in the post-Stalin Russia in the miserable plight experienced by all there. Through his words, he takes us on a tour in this novel of the miserable plight of these folks. There's the presence of many dark images. Uh, The word hapless means those especially fortunate, and it would be a word relevant to how he presents. Hopeless would be a word that applies as well as he goes ward to ward and room to room in this place of suffering. There's a presence of uh, dark images. I actually picked up the book when my father was diagnosed with cancer, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll read this. I, I want to understand what my dad's going to go through. I, never, I didn't make it through the book. I didn't have the emotional stamina in that moment beside my father. And I quit reading it because it was dark and it was miserable. And page after page, there was no hope. I thought, this is the last book I need to read in this hour. I need to read something. I need to pick up the Psalms and take off reading the Psalm. Cancer Ward, the book, cries out for someone to enter the ward and change the circumstances. Those pitiful people were without hope. It's reminiscent of what Job said in Job 7, 6. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Paul described people who had not yet come to place their faith in Christ like this. He describes their situation as marooned and without hope. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's his descriptions, description in Ephesians 2.12. That's a horrible place to be. That's like souls and Eden's cancer ward. It's also a lot like John chapter 5. And onto that dark stage comes the light of the world, Jesus Christ, and everything is changed. Come with me to John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18 this morning. This morning we get some idea of what that cancer word must have been like to even listen to this description by John of the pool of Bethesda. Because here, hope arrives for the helpless. By the way, that's all of us. We all are helpless and in need of our Lord in the person of Christ. Do you feel helpless today? Are you in a situation that you can't figure out Is it puzzling to understand how to move forward? Enter Jesus Christ, our Lord. I want to read this to you, but before I do, let me give you my plan of attack this morning in the message. First, I want to drill down into the story to ponder what is being presented in this story. Second, how does this story affect our lives? Where does it intersect with our hearts? And I want to look at four intersections this morning that speak into the vein of right where you and I live. Because I want your hearts to be encouraged. Because we are not left in the cancer ward, even if you were living with cancer here this morning. 
what we are left with after Bethlehem and after Good Friday and after Easter morning, we are left with a great Savior who has brought us hope and invites us to go home with him forever. And it reshapes how we live in present time. John 5, 1 through 18, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda. House of Mercy is the meaning of the term. Which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is that man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Verse 13, now the man who had been healed did not know it, who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, this word using the miracles as windows. This is a window that Christ puts into the building that allows us to look through and see what the kingdom of God is like and is going to be like. You remember, the kingdom has come in Jesus and the kingdom will come when Jesus returns and restores all things and redeems the world that groans and travails what Nora read waiting to be redeemed maybe you're here this morning feeling the groan and travail in your own spirit I get that now here's the scene around the temple 
in the old city of Jerusalem was a gate they called the Sheep Gate. One could conclude, and you're not a genius. Well, that's the gate where they brought the sheep in. And it had springs there where the sheep could be watered. Now, through the years, and it started with the Greeks, and maybe even before that, water was looked upon with healing properties. Uh, Find a mineral spring somewhere and soak your body in it and you'll get healed. You'll feel better. Find you some hot springs somewhere. Well, there were springs here. And so the people latched on to the hope that if they just were in the spring, uh, they would get better. So there's five colonnades, porches around this pool of Bethesda. And it's crammed full of needy folk who are without hope. This was kind of the last stop. It was a spring, so in a natural spring, every once in a while, the earth releases some water. And when it does, it'll bubble up and create waves in the spring. Now, before the fourth century, um, whatever's written in John 5, 4 in your Bible does not appear in any early manuscript. But to make sense out of what verse 7 talks about with the water stirring and whoever gets in first is healed, uh, someone along the way added to the text, hey, that's an angel, you know, brushing the water. And so you had this superstitious thought that uh, the water would stir, not realizing that in a natural spring pool, the water stirs periodically. And they, in superstition, thought that's how we'll be healed. That must be an angel. The first dude in the water gets there. Now, this man was so lame uh, and, and fractured by the brokenness of his body, he couldn't get in the water. So every once in a while, the spring would release. And, uh, and he was also, he had been there so long, apparently there was nobody from his family that were there. He said, I, Jesus, nobody's here to throw me in the water. How, how can I be healed? He really thought he was hopeless. Verse 3, this would have been quite a scene. In these lay a multitude of invalids. Now, I realize that uh, uh, homeless persons are not invalids. They, they, they face misfortune, uh, some of it through their choices, some of it through the choices of others, and they find themselves in horrible places. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of the uh, pictures of the homeless community in San Francisco, or and, uh, Andy and I were surprised in visiting Seattle once to see how many homeless people are in Seattle? And, um, you know, you, you just have pity on, uh, on the crowd. Well, to walk in there, here you have five porches. All five porches are just full of, the word here is uh, the crippled and the invalid. And they're all aching for hope. And they've even been to the point at which they, they've now embraced 
this even a superstitious notion that this must be what's going on I'll try to hop in there it's a helpless crowd a superstitious crowd their last hope their last stop on the hope train is well at least we'll go lay by the pool there at Bethesda into this dark corner comes the light of life Jesus Christ hope enters in Christ now these people to a person would say, you know what, life has really beat me up. Look at, look at my body. Look where I am. Look at this. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and emotionally it's like, man, Eric, life has beat me up. Or maybe you're here physically you say, you, that hurt me when you talk about the cancer ward. <laughs> That's me. I'm going through cancer right now. Or you're saying, boy, I just, you know, my bones ache when I got out of bed this morning and, and I... Uh, Man, I need to find some pool of Bethesda to help me. You know, I, I, I'm hurting. I'm facing decline. Into this dark corner comes the light of life. You feel like an emotional invalid this morning? Feel like you're next to a dream, you know, a pipe dream. It's like, okay, if I can somehow get in there first. Well, he couldn't move and he'd been there for 38 years. How, how's that going to help him? Into that desperate scene comes Jesus Christ. Now, what can we know about the king and his kingdom from this miracle? How does this story speak to our hearts? You say, Eric, I'm not an invalid. But maybe you're here this morning and you feel nonetheless not any less marooned or alone in the circumstances of your life because that's just exactly how this man felt. So how does this story cut across the experiences of our lives and touch us? It does so in four ways. Number one, Jesus Christ makes forsaken individuals his highest priority. Look at verse 6. Please note, Christ goes out of his way to go to the pool of Bethesda. And when he gets there, verse 6 says, When Jesus saw him lying there. So Jesus goes there. There's five colonnade of porches. There's all kinds of people there, multiple people there. Jesus goes to one person. 38 years, or as the text records, a long time he had been there. Now, he had two problems. Number one, he was debilitatingly crippled. Number two, he had nobody to put him in the pool. That's what he told Jesus. Indicative of that. He's there on his own by himself. You know, life in a broken world can make you feel like you're there by yourself on your own. Can it not? Grief can make you feel that way. Experience, we can begin to convince ourselves, nobody who's ever lived is facing what I'm going through, and it's awful. Notwithstanding the fact that the Bible said there's no trial that has taken you that's such as is common to man. We're all in this broken world together. And the glorious presence of Christ is here with us. This man had laid there for 40 years. You could make the argument that he is the number one neediest man there. Are you needy? I mean, really needy. Some people feign to be needy for attention. Now, God is not honored in that. And self-pity is not a virtue in the fruit of the Spirit. But there are those who truly 
are needy. And Christ comes to all of us who are needy and seeks us out. Many there, he goes to this man. Maybe the neediest there. There are few experiences more debilitating than being needy and feeling without hope. Jesus is good news for the needy. God is for you. God is pursuing you in Jesus Christ. Don't ever miss the fact that Christ notices you. I love his notice of this man. Jesus saw him lying there. Say, Eric, you don't, you don't understand what I'm going through. Well, I'll tell you what. Christ sees what you're going through, and he's pursuing you. Second way this story cuts across our experiences, Jesus is not limited by man as he works the works of God. Look at verses 12 and 13. The man whom Christ healed is a fascinating study. Please note verse 9. At once he gets up and takes his bed. Nobody was there saying, well, now did Jesus heal him or not? Is this a gradual healing? Is he going to get better over time? Or is this a bona fide was crippled, no longer crippled, happened in an instant, healing, demonstration of supernatural power outside of human means. Absolutely, that's what it is. It's the latter. Instantly, he's healed. You know, you and I have heard a lot of healing stories through the years. And uh, there's a certain kind of texture to the healing stories of Jesus in the gospel. They happen like this. Now, maybe you could argue when he had the person go back and rub on their eyes, it happened like this. But there wasn't any question. Nobody was wondering, is that guy healed or not? 38 years, and then he picked up his bed and he left. It's amazing. It happened instantly. Now, in verse 7, he's asked a question. And his answer, which he doesn't really give him an answer, do you want to be healed? Now, if you're lying there and somebody asks you that, what would you say? His answer betrays the fact that long ago he'd given up hope for any change. He doesn't say, yes, of course I want to be healed. He says, you know, nobody's here to throw me in the water. And he gives a hopeless answer to Jesus' hopeful question. Now, please understand, he doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know he is talking to the living God in human flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't know what he's capable of. Please note there's no faith here. You have other stories, and we'll be looking at some where it says Christ saw her faith and she was healed. There's nothing like that here. This person not only doesn't have faith, this person doesn't know who Jesus is. And this person doesn't have any hope. Was he reaching out for Christ? No. Did he believe in Christ? No. Was he without hope? Yes. Was there any hope for him? Yes, there was. And this is helpful because you and I have people we love, and we would describe members of our family, friends on our ball team, friends in that club that we're in, workmates, neighbors. We love them. We care for them. Do they understand who Jesus is? No. Do they believe in Jesus? No. 
Does that mean there's no hope that they would ever come to Jesus? Not at all. And please note that God acted in this man's life and healed him and made him whole. So let's keep sharing and keep working and not be discouraged. Did anything limit the work of Christ in this story? Answer, no, it didn't. Nothing whatsoever, not in any extent. Our sovereign Lord did his work. There is no limit to what God can do and no obstruction that restrains him. I'll say, Eric, you don't understand. My brother-in-law is so recalcitrant. His heart is a citadel of unbelief. There's no way he could ever be reached for Christ. Well, one could argue that this guy was a great candidate not to be betting on him to be responsive to Jesus. So let's stay at it. Jesus is not limited by man as he works the works of God. The third way this story cuts across is, is Jesus tells the unvarnished truth about sin and suffering. By the way, that's what you get from Jesus all the time. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Lord, he's praying in John 17, set my people apart and make them distinct through your word. Your word is true. And what we get in the word of God is truth that chases lies out of our hearts. Jesus is straight with us. He disabuses us of faulty notions that we have. The lies we believe are chased down by the posse of the word of God. We can imagine that physical demise would be ranked among the worst things that could happen to us. Have you ever heard a person reflect upon life and say, oh, I'll tell you what, my health is the greatest thing that I could have. If I'd lose my health, I would lose everything. Jesus meets this man subsequent to this incident. He picks up his bed. The Jewish leaders see him and say, hey, what are you doing carrying your bed? He says, I don't know. That guy told me to carry my bed. Which guy? I don't know which guy. And Jesus recedes into the crowd. Then Jesus runs into him at the temple. Interesting. Something's going on in this guy's heart. 38 years lying there, he gets up, and one of the first places he wants to go to is the temple. It isn't mentioned in the text, but isn't it reasonable to conclude he went to thank the Lord for what had happened? That he had a joy in walking around that he hadn't had. Now, by the way, he either experienced an injury 38 years ago after he had learned to walk. And then when he said, rise, rise up and take up your bed and walk, then he walked again after having walked before 38 years ago, before the injury. Or he's 38 years old and his first steps, he's never walked until Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. And then he did. Either way, it's extraordinary. And one of the first places he walks to is the temple. And Jesus sought him out. And then Jesus identifies himself to him. Now, in trying to figure this guy out, though, he's interesting. And he's a, he's a contrast to the man in John 9 who was healed of blindness. And maybe we'll get to that, too, later. But just a few chapters later, it's a different response. Because as soon as he figures out who healed him, the first thing he does is leave the temple and be lied to the Jewish authorities and say, hey, I found out who that guy was that told me. It was Jesus Christ. And so then they start persecuting Jesus. And this lead, that's the first 
uh, negative pushback from the crowd in the Gospel of John. This will head inexorably to the cross. But this man's an interesting study. Where is his heart? And Jesus tells him this in verse 14. See, you are well. Sin no more. Another, it's a command. Another way to enunciate that would be stop sinning. That nothing worse may happen to you. When he heard that word worse, he may have thought that Jesus, Jesus, worse. Are you kidding me? I know worse. Because the worst that can happen is a broken down body that loses its function. Jesus, that's the worst. And Jesus says to him, no, that's, that's not the worst. The worst experience is to be estranged from God. Infinitely worse than being crippled up with life. Such that our greatest need is to have our heart right with God and live with peace and hope and life, notwithstanding whatever is going on with our body. And yet we groom our bodies and we take care of our bodies and we steward our bodies, which is a holy task for followers of Jesus. Take care of your temple. Don't trash it up. But to lose our health, according to Jesus, is not to lose what is most important. What do you consider most important? By the way, isn't it interesting that our association with Jesus is to bring a new style of living? Stop sinning. You are now associated with me. And my healing power is not to be wasted on a carnal life, but you are to pick up your bed and follow me in the joyful adventure of being a Christ follower. But Eric, I thought good health and bodily function are the best gifts. No, right standing with God is. So I ask you this morning, do you possess the best gift? Has God brought you here this morning to think about the best gift? Is God, through his word, opening your heart to believe in Jesus Christ? who loved us and gave himself for us. We are estranged from him in Adam, our father, living a life, trying to be autonomous from, it doesn't make any logical sense, the one who gives us breath and the one in whom we live and move and have our very being. And he invites us to believe in him, to trust in him. It's one of our four R's. To rely upon him and the merits and perfections of his son to be accepted by a God who is holy. And he's willing to give us that gift should we recognize our sin and turn away to receive that gift in faith, in reliance. Have you ever received Christ as your Savior? Oh, Eric, I remember, it wouldn't be a great, spring of 2022 would be a great day to begin today. Be reconciled to God. If we can be next to you this week in an appointment to help you think that through. According to Jesus, that's even more important than great health while you live. That's a wonderful hope while you live and through your death and into eternity. What a Savior. Jesus tells the unvarnished truth about sin and suffering. 
How about us? Do we understand the best gift from God is a right standing with him? Finally, Jesus brings us pointedly to reckon with him. Jesus is acting here. According to verse 9, he begins, John, who's narrating this story, now that day was the Sabbath. There are seven days in a week. Jesus chose consciously and on purpose and on mission to go on this day. Because this act on that day that proved that he was God in flesh with this supernatural healing forced the hand of everybody looking at him. What are we going to do with Jesus? Now, the religious people got all upset. By the way, don't you just hate religious people? Don't you love those who walk with Christ and celebrate a relationship with him? The religious people said, ah, you broke one of our rules. Now the rabbis had written the Mishnah, which had 39 different sets of categories for the kind of work that you could not do on the Sabbath and had to stay away from. One of them was, don't you dare carry your bed pack around on the Sabbath. This lever lying in the prone position and be holy. So they're super concerned about that. They're very eager about that. Here's a guy who's laid there for 38 years and had the joyful experience of Christ saying, get up, walk. And he is thrilled with this power of God demonstrated in Christ. He's tasting of what the kingdom is going to be like when there'll be no more crutches and no more wheelchairs and no more broken bones and no more fragmented bodies. It will all be whole in the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I want to experience the kingdom in a way like that. And that's what's going on here. And those people, rather than have joy in this demonstration of the power of the kingdom, are saying, all right, you, you violated one of the rules. Thinking they were doing God a favor by invoking the rule. And Jesus just turned the table and said, look, I'm I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. My father works on the Sabbath and so do I. Oh, that sent them off. Now, by the way, the progressives say, ah, read the Gospels. Jesus never claimed to be God. Oh, really? Read John 5, 18. What did they understand Jesus was claiming about himself? But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is a bona fide claim to be the living God in human flesh, demonstrated in this power and in his work on Sunday. He says, what do you think? You think God takes the Sabbath off? By the way, I'm grateful God does not take the Sabbath off, and his ruling sovereign providence still is underway all the Sabbath day and every other day of the week. Aren't you? God doesn't take a day off, and I'm glad. And here's Jesus who steps into that. But the reason he goes there intentionally on Sunday is he knew it would force their hand, and they had to reckon with Jesus. They couldn't dismiss him. Oh, you can dismiss him and say he's a lawbreaker. Ah, you broke the Sabbath. You know. But they couldn't dismiss the fact that a guy who had laid there for 38 years was now walking around. Is Jesus acting through the situations of your life 
to bring your heart out to him this morning? What is the address of your heart today? I love this story. Jesus initiates contact with the hopeless. He overcomes their ignorance, their unbelief. He overcomes their hopelessness and despair and saves them. What a Savior. There is hope. There is actually hope to be experienced in Solzhenitsyn's cancer ward. There is hope to be experienced in every dark crevice in this old broken world. And this old broken world has a lot of dark crevices. But the hope to be experienced is centered in the person of Jesus Christ and our responsiveness to him. Praise be to God for such a glorious Savior bringing about such an incredible kingdom. Let's pray. Father, who's here this morning that has parts of what was in this man's heart in their heart? They feel alone. They feel broken. They feel like their hope tank has a terrible rupture in it and is draining dry. And they've subsisted in this state that it's getting worse. Enter Jesus. Oh, Father, run after him this morning in the person of your son. For those, Lord, who've been touched by Jesus' grace and are still sinning, (laughs) they took the gift and left the lifestyle at the curb. Jesus comes by and says, stop sinning and go forward in newness of life. Lord, run them down for our own good. Oh, Father, where would we be without Jesus, our Lord? Thanks be to God for Christ, who alone is our hope. Lord, we sing of him and respond to you and bring our hearts out to you with these words and affirm what is true about our great Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing and celebrate our hope.